Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Crunch Time. I'm Nancy. And I'm Miriam. And today we have a very special guest. She is a young and experienced psychotherapist with CFC therapy that is more than qualified to give us some insight into the field of psychology and some general advice for teens about mental health. So to start us off today, would you like to give a bit of an introduction about yourself? Yeah, sure. Thank you guys both for for having me. My name is Joanna. Um, I am a therapist at CFC Therapy Group. And a little bit kind of about my background about how I got here is I studied child and adolescent development in undergrad. I thought that I wanted to get into education. I loved working with kids. I I still do. Mm -hmm. Um, And after my primary schooling, I went and became an early education teacher, and I really loved it. Um, However, I did find myself kind of gravitating towards more individual work with the students that maybe were um, falling behind or just seemed to to not thrive in the way that that they had the potential to. So I decided from there to go back to school to pursue my master's in social work. And that's a two-year program. So I did that at the University of Southern California. Um, I was born and raised in California. So I did that for two years and I worked as a school therapist and I loved that as well. That was really just a a beautiful setting. I thought that was what I wanted. I loved working with kids. Um, However, in working with kids, you're also working with families and parents. And so as I started to work with more families and more adults, I really um, had my eyes open to the fact that, hey, I also like this. I never really considered this potential. Um, And then I kind of transitioned after that. And I went and I worked at a private practice in, um, in California, where I still was. And they worked more exclusively with individuals that had chronic pain. So Um, I can talk later on about this, but that kind of hit a special nerve for me. And that was something that I was really interested in. Um, So now kind of fast forward. And as I joined CFC, I'm working with kids still, but I'm also working Mm -hmm. with adults and I'm specializing with individuals that have chronic pain. Um, And so it's kind of just this, this modge podge of of different areas of interest to me. Um, But that's, that's kind of the long and short of where I'm at right now and, and how I got here. Wow, that's so interesting. And you talked a little bit about how your path to therapy wasn't like a direct path. And we understand there's like a lot of different paths to get into the field of psychology. And many of our like viewers and listeners are wondering, can you clarify some of the ways they can get there? Because there's like a therapist, but a psychotherapist, but a psychologist, but a psychiatrist and all that. Yeah, absolutely. It is really confusing and it's great and wonderful that there are so many different paths to lead you to these places. Mm-hmm. I personally didn't think I was going to be a therapist. So my undergrad emphasis was just in child development. Okay. However, because I took um, psychology, because I took human development, I still kind of met the criteria to pursue my master's in the area I wanted. Mm-hmm. You can do an undergrad in psychology, you can do an undergrad in social work, health and human development, um, education, criminal science, those all kind of fall under the umbrella. And then there's 
different kind of terms for therapists as well, as you were saying, right? There's a psychologist, there's a social worker, there's a counselor, there's a marriage and family therapist. Um, so each path, I, I can't speak on all of them because I, yeah. I only know my own, but each path has slightly different requirements, um, but they do kind of fall under that umbrella of taking you into that helping profession. And, and after all the schooling, you then are, or during the schooling wrap, or you, you intern for a while, you kind of get your, your feet in the door, you kind of um, just get that experience to see really what you're looking for. And it's so valuable. It's terrifying, but valuable. Mm -hmm. And um, after the internship, then you take an exam and you go and, and you work and then you rack up some hours for my field, you rack up 3000 hours wow. and then you take an exam um, and then you're kind of free to practice. So it's a process. Oh, that was a lot of hours of like, you yeah. know, you have to put a lot of commitment to this. So how did you know that you wanted to take psychology? That this was the field you wanted to go into? That's a, a great question. And I think about it a lot because it's not, at least for me, it wasn't just one aha moment. It was really kind of just looking at my history and all my curiosities and interests, um, kind of a, a backstory about me. I'll, I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. Um, but when I was in kindergarten, I was diagnosed with depression. And it's really, really young to have such a, yeah. a diagnosis given to you. Um, and my life was and, and still is wonderful. I'm blessed in that I have really amazing um, parents and amazing family amazing support system. Um, I didn't know at the time, but my family has a history with depression. It's genetic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can be, you can have a great life and still be dealt that hand. Um, and so pretty immediately after that diagnosis, I was prescribed medication to help me with that depression. And it, it worked, you know, I was great. Yeah. I was socializing more comfortably. I was able to be more present in the school setting. Mm -hmm. um, fast forward a good amount of time and I was in high school and I had to be pulled off my medication because I had a, I had a pretty hefty surgery that they had to kind of just take me off everything. And I, I never got the tools to learn how to deal with depression. I was just given medication for it. Um, and you know, being in high school is hard enough yeah. by itself. It was uh, the beginning of senior year. So you're applying to colleges, which in itself is stressful. And then kind of my, my life bolt was taken from me. And so that was unfortunately not when I realized, hey, I want to be a therapist, right? I, I wish that was the point where I recognized, hey, you know, what can I do to help myself? But I couldn't understand what was going on. I was just trying to, to power through. And eventually I started learning just by going, just trying to push through that I don't have any tools to help myself. Mm -hmm. um, so I started exploring counseling. It's great that many colleges offer these programs. They offer free counseling or reduced cost. And I kind of just, you know, loved having those conversations, testing myself and being vulnerable and I thought how cool it must be to be able to be on the other side 
of the room to be able to be that trusted person that somebody can go to and be vulnerable. And for some people, it's all they have, right? I'm grateful in that it, that person wasn't, right? They were a great support system, but they weren't all I had. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's honoring to hear sometimes when my clients tell me, you know, I haven't shared this with anyone before, but I, I want to tell somebody, I want to take this off of myself. So that's kind of the said I'd keep it condensed and I apologize, <laughs> but that's kind of how I decided that, that this is where I want to be. And when I was teaching in the preschool, as I was saying, I found myself gravitating towards those who needed more individualized help. Um, and that kind of just was my aha moment of, of, I love group settings. I love schools and, and preschools. However, for me, I needed more one-on-one Um, You talked a lot about how, well, it's kind of amazing how your young diagnosis led to such a great realization. And then you found that counseling and one-on-one therapy was what worked for you. And I'm assuming that's what you do most uh, as your practice. So do you mind sharing a little bit about what you do daily as a psychotherapist, but also at CFC? Yeah. So I mainly do individual work. When I work with kids, I do a collaboration with their parents or their guardians, mm-hmm. um, just because it takes, you know, effort from everybody. If you're 10 and you're living under your parents' roof, you're gonna, we're going to need to collaborate to some degree. Yeah. Um, so outside of my sessions, I also serve as the intake coordinator at the practice. And so I talk to all the clients that are seeking care and I help assign them to the best clinician for them. And so you know, that's amazing to get to do to get to help somebody find their match. And um, so that's, that's kind of my day to day. It's wonderful. And that every single day looks different. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard to, to plan for things, because every single day looks so different. But I like variety. And so this, this fits really well for my lifestyle. And so we wanted to get kind of, aside from just like your daily routines, kind of like the main focus for today, like what is kind of some advice you would give in regards to teenage and teenagers and mental health in general? And that's a great question. And I think it's so relevant right now, especially as we're kind of coming out of the pandemic. I feel like for teens, it's it's likely hit them in a, in a very significant way, right? These are the formative years. These are the years you want to experiment and socialize and really just get to know yourself. Um, and so my kind of best advice for teens right now is to get curious, right? Find things that you're curious about pursuing and, and get started. And that doesn't, you know, And that can be something as small as a a sport or a hobby, Um, but exploring your curiosities and finding your support system. I know that when you're a teenager, it feels very, very important to have quantity, quantity of friends, you know, Mm -hmm. um, be involved in, in big social settings. And as much as it's challenging to believe it's not about that, right? It's about finding the the people that are meaningful to you and can understand you. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that might be 
a handful of people. Sometimes it, it can be one person. One person can make mm-hmm. a huge difference. Um, something that I think is, is so valuable, especially for teens, is that reminder of just, you know, the, we put so much pressure on ourselves to perform so highly, um, but, but life moves forward. And the things that we feel are our life and death and make it or break it, very, very likely are, are not that severe. Um, so giving yourself that grace and reminder of, you know, you are, you are human as a teenager, you are allowed to make mistakes. It is, you know, it is encouraged in a way to make mistakes because that means that you're trying new things. And yeah, I think that if we can give ourselves a bit more compassion and treat ourselves in a way that it's so freaking cliche, mm-hmm. sorry if I Am I, am I? No, you're okay. no yeah, you're okay. Yeah, you okay. It's so cliche, but if we treat ourselves how we would treat our good friends or family members or children, we're going to feel a lot better about ourselves. Right. Sometimes it's, it's funny, but I'll tell my clients, like, would you ever say that to a child? And, and they wouldn't dare yet. They're talking to themselves in that way. And, mm-hmm. and we have to live with ourselves all the time. It's, it's, you know, it, it makes living and thinking and being in your body a really toxic place to be. Um, I saw on your website that you focus or you love the mind and body connection. And we can see that people are taking this into like more consideration with like Simone Biles stepping out of the Olympics and other reasons. How true do you think that is? And what are your thoughts about that? I, I love that you mentioned this, and this is great timing for this, this podcast. Yeah. There is such a connection with the mind-body, right? We can't take our brains out of our body. We are one functioning human. Um, mm-hmm. we, we unfortunately can't separate. And if we don't take care of, you know, one element, be it our mind or body, the other is going to, to suffer. We need to care for them both. Um, there's something called uh, psychosomatic disorders, and that is essentially when, you know, your body manifests anxiety, your body manifests um, depression, even in the body. And I, and everyone experiences this to some extent, right? When you get nervous or anxious, maybe you feel that not in the pit of your stomach, or you feel lightheaded, even that is your body warning you that it is perceiving danger to some extent. Um, Sometimes it's protective, right? Sometimes we want those signals. If let's say we're over walking down the street and there's a bear coming. We want to feel, you know, that our, our body's able to protect us and sending us signals to watch out. We're putting our hand on a hot stove and we feel pain. That pain is telling us, remove yourself from this situation. This situation is dangerous, right? There are, there are maladaptive ways that the body recognizes um, triggers, mm-hmm. right? If I'm feeling pain because I don't know, I'm, I'm in a car, right? We can know that, okay, there, there is a slight danger to being in a, in a car, yeah. but is the way my body's responding right now necessary? Can I remind myself that I'm okay and, and ground myself? And speaking on the Olympics and speaking on the, the mind-body connection, for starters, right? How, how freaking brave of Simone to be able to recognize yeah. I'm at my capacity, right? She was, and you know, is a wonderful uh, gymnast and an athlete, 
yet she is also a human Mm -hmm. and pressure impacts us all. And especially in a sport where there is a potential to put yourself in a dangerous position by just pushing through those feelings, right? The ability to recognize I'm not able to, you know, ensure my own safety is, is huge. Right. And I don't, I don't know. Right. I don't know if she had, um, like somatic cues going on in her body that she was able to, to recognize, or if it was just a thought that she Mm -hmm. had and a feeling that she had that she leaned into, right. It's, it's a big strength to recognize your humanity, especially when, you know, I would imagine when you're Simone Biles, right. You've got, you've got the, everyone rooting you on and, and you are an amazing person and you're also a human. Um, and so I think that I, I hope that that can set a good standard for us as just kind of everyday people that we're allowed to, to take our steps back. We're allowed to, to humanize ourselves um, and our bodies and our bodies signals are there to protect you. Yeah, I think it's super important between like not just caring about your own like mental health but your physical health like it all connects together Mm -hmm. and I think that's extremely important especially during the time of the Olympics with Simone Biles I think such a great case of this and besides just like taking mental health days as you said earlier kind of you know taking that step back what are some other ways that teens can also focus on their mental health as well yeah I think you know something it sounds so basic but quality sleep is so important, right? If you're not sleeping well, at least me personally, if I don't sleep well, I'm not going to be feeling like my best self the next day. Um, Mm -hmm. So sleep, nourishing your body, those are kind of the the basics, right? Those are the things we want to ensure. Um, But then things, you know, greater, such as becoming involved in something you're passionate about, whether that's a sport or a club or um, a religious affiliation, really whatever it is, finding something that you are passionate about, um, something else that I'm guilty of not doing as well is really limiting technology. And it's so hard. And especially when we're living virtually these days. Um, However, and it obviously does depend on how you're using your technology, right? But it it doesn't take the place of socialization. And it is... it's proven to be, to have negative consequences on one's mental health. Um, And so really being mindful about your usage, are you engaging in things that make you feel empowered, that make you feel proud of yourself or inspired? Or are you engaging in content that you become critical or start comparing yourself against, right? Social media can be a great platform and it can also really, impact one's mental health in, in a more negative way. Um, let's take a step back a little bit. We talked a lot about how we can like prevent or fix the problem, but what do you think is like the thing that teens do most that harm our mental health that we don't even realize? It's a, it's a great question and it's hard to say most. I would say that it's probably, right, there's a lot of pressure that teens feel that either they're putting on themselves or unfortunately external pressures are definitely 
pretty present in the teenage years. And I think that that can negatively impact one's ability to kind of see a, a bigger picture, right? College applications are a great example, right? Yeah. People put a lot of pressure on themselves into getting into what they're perceiving as a, a good school or parents might even, or, or teachers might even put that pressure. Um, and so you were kind of asking about what's the, the thing we can do to prevent these things, right? Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's, you know, kind of one, it's self-advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody is giving you information or pressure that is negatively hurting you, as unfortunate as it is, right? People can't read your mind. People can't know, hey, this really, this really hurts when I'm sharing this information or this touches a sensitive area, right? We need to recognize where our boundaries are. Um, for teenagers, it's really, really hard, right? It's hard to say no, but also it's hard to implement boundaries because you're kind of in this weird period where you're wanting so badly to be an adult with your own free will. However, more likely than not, there's some boundaries or or guidelines, right? You might be living at home or, you know, still in school with the limitations that that provides, Um, but boundaries can still exist. And by implementing boundaries, you are helping yourself and and setting yourself up to feel more comfortable and, and able to manage your own mental health. Yeah. I think the advice that you gave for prevention and just like kind of like the root of the problem itself was really great. And then we also want to center this back on you. So we wanted to know kind of like what's your most like unforgettable moment or your like favorite memory working in this field? There are so many. Oh, it's so hard to say. Um, Yeah. And I I mean, I don't have consent to talk directly about a client of course of course but there are things you know things as simple yet impactful as when clients tell me as I said you know this is my first time telling somebody this or I've I've had a client decide to go back to school to become a therapist because they grew so much in our sessions together um you know it's little things like that that just really you know, sometimes I, I have imposter syndrome all the time, as you were saying, I'm a yeah. young professional, I look even younger than I am. And so there are times when I kind of have those doubts on myself, right, even coming into this podcast, you know, I've never been on a podcast before, this is all new and, and scary. And so these little reminders of, hey, no, you are a trained professional, hey, you are helping people they stand out, right? There's been Mm -hmm. unforgettable moments where clients have um, overcome eating disorders or addictions. They've left toxic relationships, right? All of these things. Well, I feel really, really proud to have been a supportive role in these decisions. They're the ones that did all the action, right? I'm not following them home. I'm not holding their hand. I'm just helping them feel empowered and comfortable and confident enough to pursue their best life. Um, and so it, it feels like a, a true honor to be a part of that process with them. And at that same time, I, I totally recognize that, that they have to do all the hard work. I get a, you know, right now I'm virtual. So right now I just, I turn off my computer at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. while I think about my clients and while I, I wish them all the best, they're the ones doing all the, the hard steps. Wow. 
That's so inspirational. And especially how you put it in words of how you didn't directly fix the problem, you guided them towards the right direction. That is so empowering. And how would you guide our listeners? Because some of them are wanting to pursue a field in psychology. What advice do you have for them? It is such a a beautiful field. And kind of as I was saying, when we first started recording, there are so many different ways to get here. And Mm -hmm. so I would really encourage you to just explore your curiosities, right? It might not be a linear path, but that's all right. And you're going to learn some really, really cool things along the way. And you might even discover that you're interested in something that you wouldn't even think of, right? I didn't know that I would be so fascinated by the way that the the mind and body have such a connection, right? The Mm -hmm. way that we can feel physical pain from our emotions. Um, I ended up getting so curious about it and, and digging into it. And here I am, but that was all from, you know, looking at a curiosity and, and diving into it. And so I would encourage people to explore their curiosities, read, listen to podcasts, reach out to people in the field, right? It's, it's a close knit community. Mm-hmm. I was saying there's a lot of different labels for therapists and different ways to get here, but we all are here to support one another. We know the ins and outs of, of what the lifestyle looks like. We know it's an amazing lifestyle, but it's, you know, we're human too. And it can also be really taxing to hear some of the things that we hear. Um, so, so reaching out to the people in the field, hearing just from other professionals. Um, and then I always encourage people to go to therapy themselves, right? It is mm-hmm. so valuable to be on the other side of the chair or the screen or however you do it to get to understand that process, see what you like and don't like about sessions. So then when you're kind of leading sessions, should you choose to pursue being a therapist, you get to know, Hey, it was comfortable when sessions kind of went about in this way. And, you know, maybe it's not my style, not that it's, it's wrong, but it didn't feel like it fit me to, pursue sessions in this way. And, you know, therapists need therapists. Like I said, we hear a lot, we process a lot, and we need to have the tools to be able to create those boundaries with our clients, be able to detach, um, be able to sleep at night to get back Mm -hmm. to it the next morning. Um, And and I think that, you know, even there are so many ways to explore your curiosity, but that would be that's extremely important, not just if you want to be a therapist, but for, for everyone, you know, I'm a little bit biased, but I think that therapy can be a great benefit to everyone. Well, it was really great hearing from you. I think um, my, I have a couple of family members that are also pursuing psychology. So it was really interesting to hear that, you know, hands-on experience from a different person outside of that bubble too. And so what are some kind of like closing remarks that you have for viewers Um, I just want to kind of, it it sounds like this is geared towards teens. So, you know, one in seven teens experience a mental health condition, and that is extremely high. It's actually up 4 million, you know, in the United States since 2000, which is significant to say the least. So if you're experiencing, you know, a trouble with your mental health, or if you are just not feeling like your best self, there is no shame in reaching out for help. It is a strength. It is a strength to recognize that 
you need something different to happen to be able to pursue um, your best life. And so I would really encourage individuals to normalize mental health, to destigmatize it, to explore sure. options, to pursue what will help you live your best life. Um, for college students, utilize those resources, right? A lot of colleges offer free or reduced price therapy. They want to help you and they understand that college is stressful. Um, and so, you know, having the, the strength to recognize that you are able to get help, that help can be um, just right around the corner if you are vulnerable and, and empowered enough to, to seek it out. Um, something else, you know, especially for those high school kids is to create those boundaries. Boundaries are, are good for everyone. I think, you know, my clients can attest to the fact that I have mentioned boundaries with each and every one of them at, at mm -hmm. one point in our time together but creating boundaries with people to let them know where your comfort is and where you're not comfortable. They help build relationships, right? They help keep you safe and they also help foster the development of the relationship. Um, and kind of my, you know, my last thing is find a way to recharge, find a way to take care of yourself, whether mm -hmm. that's an end of the night routine, a sport, um, a little ritual, whatever it is, you know, implement self-care. It can be as complex as you want it to be. It can be as simple as you need it to be, um, but just something to, to care for yourself. Wow. Thank you so much for that. And thank you, Joanna, for coming on to our podcast. And that concludes our podcast episode for today. Thank you for giving us some incredible insight about your field, but especially about teen mental health and the importance of setting boundaries. So you can check us out on Instagram at crunch.time.podcast and find us on all podcast platforms. Stay tuned every Sunday for a new episode. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you both.